Hello, and welcome back to The Rant with Sean Scott and Ant, everybody. I am honored to announce that we have our very first guest on the podcast this evening. If you went to Cortland with us, you know their names. If you didn't, you will today. Uh, we have Buckets and Dan on the program, aka Bill O'Hare and Dan Hannon joining us from Buffalo, New York. Uh, today we've got a sports-loaded segment, or show rather. So today we're going to be talking about the release of the NFL schedule. We're going to talk about Major League Baseball's proposal to return to July. Yes, this July. Uh, and then we're going to continue our recap segment on ESPN's The Last Dance, going through episodes 7 and 8. So let's get right after it. Welcome to the show, boys. Hey, thanks for having us on. Yeah, we appreciate it. It's, uh, hey. it's good to have the, the radio, I would say probably the Hall of Famers, of uh, WSUC Cortland Radio Club. Well, we definitely were the self-proclaimed number one sports radio show, so we can self-proclaim our <laughs> Hall of Fame induction as well. Sounds good. <laughs> I like that. Um, Buckets and Dan have also started a podcast uh, recently. So if you – anything Buffalo sports related, search it right now, Buckets and Dan's Sportsland on Spotify – Anywhere else, you guys on Apple iTunes? We will be uh, probably by next Monday. So oh, nice. we're on Spotify right now. Nice. Yeah, so Buckets and Dan Sportsland. We'll, we'll plug it again at the end of the show. Um, but, uh, yeah, a little context, I guess. So we were all in Radio Club together. I first met you guys freshman year. And I wonder if you guys remember who we were playing, who the Bills were playing. But I remember I was – I think it was the end of October and I was watching the game. The Bills were playing Kansas city chiefs mm. and I was yelling at the television and my then roommate uh, at the time, Craig Nevins, you guys remember Craig? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I yeah I hooking up with the, uh, yeah, hooking up and marrying with our troop leader from our um, go away class at Racket Lake. Oh, really? Yep. You ended up marrying her. What? Where, oh, the, okay. That's I did a not story. know that. That's not a made-up yeah. story. <laughs> well, I knew I knew he was married. Incredible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he got an A in that class. Awesome. So yeah, he he walks in and he sees me yelling at the TV. He goes, "Hey, there's two other Bills fans yelling at the TV in the lounge." I'm like, "All right, I'll go say hi." So I walk in. And it's you two clowns. Um, yelling at the at the TV. And I remember other people came in today. That was the first day I met our dear friends, Alana, uh, Talia, uh, boy, uh, Pat Gorman. Oh, Gorman. I think I knew Gorman. Unfortunately, I met him a little earlier than that. <laughs> I met Gorman uh, at Cortland orientation the summer before. We <laughs> he was in like, my orientation group. <laughs> That'd be fun. And our, and our, lives, our lives have never been the same. No. Uh, so yeah, I walk in, I meet you guys. We watched the end of that devastating overtime loss. Um, I believe it was a field goal, field goal kid that Kansas City made so to win. If I if I remember correctly, in overtime, they, the Bills lined up to field goal to win it. They hit the field goal, but right before the it was snapped, Kansas City called the timeout to ice it. Then they re-kicked it, and Lindell missed it by about forty feet. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I think you're dead on in that one. 
Yeah. Very Bills like. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, I think there's a great picture of us literally like on our hands and knees just staring at the television uh, watching that that play, which is great because it was, you know. I do. I know exactly what picture you're talking about. That's funny. Tom Cleaver. And these Bills fans congregate like a virus, dude. It's nuts. Yeah, it's. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they do infiltrate very quickly. Yeah, I, I met more Bills fans at Cortland, obviously just kind of moving from Jersey to, to central New York, but, like, there were more Bills fans at Cortland than I was ready for in my life at that time. Oh, yeah. And Syracuse fans. Oh, welcome. God, don't get me started. You're welcome. Hey, Scott, you're <laughs> the one who now lives in Syracuse. I know. That's why I can't get started on it. I can't handle all the Syracuse fans. I guess I, I should have expected it, but. Yeah. Damn right. Nothing else to fucking do up here. (laughs) Shut your damn mouth. Um, But so, I mean, Bill and Dan started their radio show. uh, What what year was that? Was that sophomore year? 2012, yep. 2012, right. And I I know you guys did, I think, a season. um, And then I came on as a producer in your second season. Oh, yeah. Thank you for starting this, this amazing career of mine. Yeah, we were like the Trump administration. We just ran through producers. <laughs> Bill's, been thinking about that. Bill's been thinking about that, how to deliver that joke all day. Oh, yeah. He wrote that how many one times down. did you write that one down? <laughs> no, I just came up with it right now. But if you think about it, we had Sean. We had Mike Papavera. Who else do we have, Dan? Um, I think it was <laughs> those two. Maybe we were more like the Obama administration. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I still remember the on, on on the twenty update with Sean Faulkner. It was always yep. an Angels game was at ten o'clock that night. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, we'd probably get well, no, because the show would end at ten. So mm-hmm. I remember I would I'd run home and see if I could catch the stream on online. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and then that morphed into the rant with Sean Scott and Ant, um, and then we because I know you guys did some some student teaching one one couple semesters and. So there was a, a vacancy. So to, we uh, to we took show. over as number one self-proclaimed show. Did you guys fill in the eight to ten slot? We did. Yeah, I love did. that. I love that. Pass I had some pull. Game. I had some pull that's on the executive board. That's true. Was Kim <laughs> still around there? And that's one reason I stuck around in. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> he was. That's the only reason I stuck around on eboard too. Smart move. Yeah. Smart move. Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> um. Hopefully she doesn't right. listen to this. No. Yeah. <laughs> Her husband sure does. Just kidding. <laughs> that'd, that'd be something. Uh, all right, guys. So let's get after. Let's talk a little NFL schedule. So the NFL schedule for all teams was released last week, last Thursday. Um, something I've been looking forward to, obviously, in this very sportsless world. Uh, it's, it was something I was very looking forward to. Uh, so today I wanted to walk through our three teams, right? The Bills, the Jets, the Giants, talk about some key takeaways that you you um, think of the schedule this year and then talk about some over-under predictions. So, Dan, why don't you get us started? What uh, what you take away from the, the new 2020 Bills schedule? Yeah, I mean, I think the clear takeaway is having, um, what, five primetime or four primetime games? So, um, and if you're gonna, if you're gonna face a team like Kansas City, who obviously is a Super Bowl champion and you knew they were going to be on your schedule, but if you're going to do it, you might as well do it on a short week, a Thursday night at home with the crowd. If there are crowds, 
crowd going crazy. So I think it's nice that the Bills get some respect from the national media. Um, I think it's, it's funny to think about how, you know, you talk about Bills fans drowning out. Scott, it's funny to think about in December, if they flex that Denver game, there'll be four, uh, four weekends in a row where the Bills are in a primetime game. So they showed last, last year at Thanksgiving that they're fun to watch. And then obviously that Sunday night game when they went into Pittsburgh and won. So um, I'm excited. I'll tell you that Thursday night game against the Chiefs, the Bills defense against the Chiefs offense is going to be fun, man. That's going to be a fun one. I'm thinking I'm coming up for that game, guys. Uh, I have a I have a wedding to go to in New York City. It, you know, fingers crossed that everything stays on the schedule. Uh, and I might just drive up to Buffalo and then fly from Buffalo to New York City. So. <laughs> By the end of this, by the end of this episode, I'm going to get you so drunk that you're going to commit to all the Bills home games. <laughs> I will say, Alana Judkins, our dear friend, uh, has got me really close to committing to seasons, season oh. tickets this year. <laughs> but, but, but like maybe splitting them with another, like another gotcha. two. Dude, is going to have split them with, split them with Dan. Yeah, probably not the time to have this conversation, but I would love to split half the home games with you. Okay, Bob, all right. Have Lights booked to Buffalo by the end of this show. Yeah. Dude, I drive. I drive. You drive? Yeah. Yeah, something that I, I'll say half of them I'll take the Monday off. Half of them I'll just make the drive back to Pittsburgh. Maybe I'll take – I think my, my strategy is, uh, if, if needed, take a quick snooze at the uh, Angola exit. Hey, Get my hey energy let, me, up. let me say something. It's very, very overrated how long these drives are. One, the one time Sean came in for a game, we were hanging out back here. He left at, I don't know, 6, and he was home by half the time of the Sunday night game. It's not like it's that crazy of a drive. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But I'd say it's a, it's a very billsy year to have four primetime games because they might not happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was about to say, expand on what Billsy means for some of our listeners. Cause... And it just means heartbreak. <laughs> they're going to have fans at the games, but they're going to happen. Yeah. Well, I don't know. My, so I was talking to my, my cousin the other day. And he said, if there's one league that's just going to power through this, it's going to be the NFL because they're just too so arrogant. They're arrogant enough to just do what they want. Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would agree with what Anthony said. I, 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 would, be, um, I would be surprised – if they didn't, I mean, I think the way they build a schedule, I'm sure you guys all know how, um, like, everybody has this, everybody you're playing in week two have the same bye week. So it'll be very easy for them to flip those first two weeks at the end of the year. So I'd be very surprised, in my opinion, I'd be surprised if they didn't have a 16 game schedule. But I'd also be very surprised if they didn't have restriction on fan access, which sucks. So yeah, that's yeah. my takeaway from it. Yeah, I think, I mean, we're, we're going to have a conversation later about baseball potentially having a season this year. So if that's the case, then I think the NFL um, is in little doubt that there'll at least be a season. But like you guys alluded to, fans may certainly be in question. Um, and that would suck because imagine a football game without fans. I mean, that's, that, I think that would be the wildest sport to not have them. It is so weird to think about. I think I would love an NBA game with no fans. I love hearing sneaker squeak. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I think football would be the worst. Like, yeah, do you, do you yeah. think they're pumping artificial noise? They got to do something. They just, they probably you're going to hear people getting hit and like That's what I'm saying. And swearing and screaming. I mean, yeah. you're going to hear the, all the players much clearer. Yeah. That'll be interesting. Maybe they'll do it. Mic like, them all up and make it like. 
they'll like they'll hook into like the coaches on the sidelines. You hear them talk like. Imitate. Yeah, that'd be cool. Like the XFL did, kind of. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mic it all up and just uh, make yeah. you subscribe to the season so we can hear all the trash talk. <laughs> yeah, that's actually like that'd be cool. Actually, make it a little bit interactive. Yeah. Uh, Bill, sorry if you have a face full of French fries right now, but what was your <laughs> biggest take? <laughs> what was your biggest takeaway of the the Bill schedule? Um, I think the NFL is actually really smart, and they know, and the broadcast partners know when to actually give teams the respect they deserve and give teams primetime games. They're no, they're no dummies, and. For years when we've been kind of hoodwinked and we've been thinking the Bills are a good team and why are we not getting any primetime games, we all should have known that this team wasn't for real. And I think now finally the nat nationally you've seen the Bills are actually getting some love and them getting the primetime game shows that they are at least thought of as a for real team right now. So I, it just makes you like really, really excited, you know, because it's been such a long long way to get to this point and then if you look at the schedule it's super difficult comparing it to last year's schedule is um they're two totally different schedules last year's schedule was really really easy I mean they played a lot of bad teams and they got 10 wins if I know we're going to talk predictions and I know there's a lot of people in Buffalo and I and I've I used to be more positive I guess and I am now about the Bills I guess I'm trying to be more realistic but Dan and I have said to each other if we get 10 wins this year that's great but there's a lot of people in Buffalo right now thinking 12 and 4 or 13 and 3 I just don't see it happening can I can I ask and I I don't want to ask Scott because I feel like we have a biased opinion on the Jets and he has a biased opinion on the Bills can I ask Anthony what an outside opinion an honest one I want if you think they fucking stink then say it but opinion on the Bills? Definitely don't stink. I think they have one of the best defenses in the NFL. And I think, honestly, when, when you have a good defense, you could stay in every game that you play in. So I think they're going to play a lot of close games. I think it's going to come down to Josh Allen and if he takes a step forward this year or not. But I still think they're a 9 or 10 win team. So I think they're a pretty good team. Sure. Just good. trying to be unbiased here, like Ant said, it, it all depends on Josh Allen. I I personally, like, I want Josh Allen, but, like, I just don't see him as a guy that's going to take that that next leap. And listen, coming from a Jets fan, I, I don't even know if I believe Sam Darnold's going to take that leap, which I'll get into in a second. Um, so I'm critical about him, too. But just some of the mistakes you see him make, I don't know. Uh, that playoff game last year where he – Yeah, some crazy shit. <laughs> lateral ball. Like, it's just things like that. The guy's a freak athlete, man, and I think that bodes well for his game. Um, he can move around in the pocket, make things happen with his legs. Um, and when you have a good defense, controlling the ball and, and time of possession is important, which I think they can do with uh, their run game and, and with him kind of making things happen with his legs. Um, but it all depends on, on if he can find that accuracy with his arm and find digs deep, man. Yeah. Yeah, I think the, the digs acquisition was huge for Allen's development. Because obviously that that pat taking the next step in that passing game is the the next is the only way for the Bills offense to actually become elite or or maybe not elite but close to elite good enough to be yep. a contender every single year. 
And I, go ahead. Sorry. His, no, no, his numbers last, Stephon Diggs' numbers last year in the deep ball, I think he's got the ability to track down a ball that may be thrown errantly or is just a little bit off, which we know that Josh can do from time to time, maybe a little bit more. Um, and I think Stephon Diggs' ability to track those balls down can help Allen get into a groove if he's maybe not feeling it a particular game. Um, but regardless, I'm confident that Josh Allen could take that step in improving the deep ball, even without Diggs. Um, I just think Diggs is going to help him uh, with that, with that next step that in throwing the deep ball. Bill? I, will say, I will say one thing though, the bills have a really good head coach and Sean McDermott who's very underrated. So even if Josh Allen does struggle a little bit, I do trust him to game plan and find ways to win games that they probably shouldn't win so for that reason alone and their defense and if they run the ball well which I think they will they have two good running backs so there's no reason why the Bills can't win 10 games this year right no reason hey I'm gonna say um this is the first time Buffalo in this regime has taken a swing at kind of a big name guy and just playing devil's advocate Diggs has had issues in Minnesota before with a very accurate quarterback and cousins. It wouldn't be crazy if it gets ugly. I mean, I could definitely see that happening. <laughs> I think when we, so we interviewed a, um, a Buffalo beat writer that writes for the com, And he, I asked him about Diggs being a diva and he mentioned it was more Diggs not getting looks. I mean, he'd be open and he would not get thrown to. So I think that on this offense, he's Josh Allen would be like, in Minnesota, you have Adam Thielen to throw, and you have a great run game. And I think he was more frustrated with the play calling. They ran the ball a shit ton in Minnesota, which if you have Delvin Cook, I guess you do that. But if you're a premier wide receiver, you're wondering why you're not throwing the ball. So I think they I, – I now that I think about it, I'm a little worried that they do love, like, school mentality of establish the run to work in the pass. But, I mean, if you're Josh Allen, Diggs is going to be your number one target this, you know – John Brown had a good year. Beasley's good. I love Dawson, Dawson Knox, but Diggs is your number one target. And, Scott, going back to what you said, it's funny you said that about um, Darnold because I think no matter how much Buffalo loves Josh Allen, there are still people I could find friends that if, if they could swap right now Allen for Darnold, they would. And it's so funny to think about how shitty they've done in developing and putting a team around him. Just no. Head coach, their offensive line's horrible. I did think they had one of the best drafts. I've got to go into draft um, research because there's nothing else to do. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I, a lot of those guys, I really did like. I I I think Mims is um, boomer bust, but that's to fall in the second round. I think Beckton's going to be great. He's a freak athlete, but it's just funny to think about. Um, it's very rare I'm able to say this about a Buffalo sports team, but how well they've done developing and taking proper steps the past yep. few years it seemed like they're they're literally they had a plan they wanted to follow through every step of the way and they have botched the Darnold thing yeah I know and, and that's you guys were saying typical bills before that that's typical Jets doing just drafting a franchise quarterback and not giving them the tools and the weapons around them um, we'll get to that in a second one thing going back to Diggs real quick is yeah he's he's obviously the number one guy there um, and and with a quarterback like like um, Allen, who can be prone to making some mental errors, he has to be careful not to force the ball to him too much, too, especially if Diggs starts talking about getting too many targets or enough targets, things like that. Um, that can get into a quarterback's head a little bit, especially one who's prone to mental mistakes, and you can see him start trying to force the ball to him and, and 
especially if there's double cover safety over the top, you're just, you're recipe for disaster there. So I'm going to be interested in the Diggs locker room situation. I think uh, to Ant's point, um, McDermott's the right guy to kind of cater that, that personality maybe. Um, so it'll be an interesting kind of story to see how it plays out. And last thing for me on the Bills, and I, I mean, I, if you want, we can spend three hours talking about the Bills. I don't think. Oh, I know Please could. no. Please no. <laughs> but <laughs> McDermott was quoted as saying, and uh, it's got a lot of pub around Buffalo's, you come to Buffalo not only to better yourself as a player, to better yourself as a person or something along those lines. And Diggs has retweeted that like 10 times. Like the culture they – I think culture – I mean, I'm, I'm, I coach and stuff like that, so I, I'm all into this culture stuff. And But at the bottom line, the bottom line is if you don't win, no one gives a fuck about your culture, and culture sometimes overblown. Like the Patriot way, I think, is bullshit. I think that players hate playing for Belichick. I just think that they've been great, and Tom Brady matched a lot of that. Hopefully they suck this year. But um, I think that the culture they've built is perfect for a guy like Stephon Diggs to come into. And I'm done with the Bills. We can move on. Sorry, we took so long. With the At least we can agree on the Patriots. Yes, that, we can all raise a glass to that. <laughs> yeah. Scott, why don't you – we were just talking about Sam Darn and all that. Why don't you use that as a segue? Let's talk um, – well, let's do this. So we'll, we'll, we'll talk our takeaways from each respective team, and then we'll run through the predictions uh, over and under after we talk about takeaways. So, Scott, talk about the yeah. Jets schedule this year. Yeah. Um, as far as schedule goes, I think the NFL is just taunting the Jets by putting the Bills first after we blew a lead in the fourth quarter last year, week one. Um, so I think that was just a smack in the face. Um, but I, obviously, very similar schedule just in terms of teams being played to the Bills, um, playing the NFC West, one of the tougher divisions in football. Um, so I don't think it's easy. Um, it's certainly brought back my expectations for the season a little bit. I was optimistic. Um, kind of going into this year um, after the draft, hoping Darnold might take a step forward. But this is a tough schedule, um, and th they need to get off to a hot start because uh, the second half of the season is looking um, – I mean, 49ers, Steelers, Broncos are kind of an unknown, and then Patriots at, at Gillette is always uh, – I don't care who's the quarterback. So Scott – Scott and Anthony, more down, local downstate root guys, I am super curious to hear your thoughts on Adam Gase. I think he's so interesting. I don't think he's a great coach, but I would like to hear what you guys think. Oh, man. I, I despise Gase solely for his offensive scheme when you have a guy like Le'Veon Bell and you don't get him the ball or you don't utilize him. Not, not even that they don't get him the ball. He had enough touches, but they didn't utilize him the way you're supposed to utilize Le'Veon Bell, which is out of the passing game. Uh, sweeps to the outside. Obviously, he's a very patient runner. Jets had the worst offensive line in football, arguably, last year. Um, so bringing in a guy like that and then claiming you don't like him, you don't you don't think he's a proper fit for your team, it's like – there's the whole draft thing. Yeah, exactly. There are 30, 31 other coaches in the league that would kill for a guy like Le'Veon Bell. So I, I don't like Adam Gase, but at the, in the same breath – you can't do anything because Sam Darnold can't have another head coach. Like, right. you can't make this guy learn another system in his third year. I'll let Ant give his thoughts on Gase. Uh, his, his, just, his personality and demeanor is just terrible for, like, the New York media, especially, like, that <laughs> year where it's, like – It's awful. He couldn't, handle the, he couldn't handle the media in Miami. Like, so you think he's going to come to New York and handle the media here? It was just <laughs> – to get higher. 
from that. This is old news, but the, his eyes during his opening press conference still haunt me to this day. Dude, was he on drugs or something? I don't know, dude. But there? His eyes are just crazy. You see him on the sidelines. He has to wear his hat, like, all the way down over his eyes so you can't see how crazy they are. <laughs> that, whole, that whole process where he was hired by McCagnan and then they fired McCagnan after the draft, it was just – it was just peculiar how they did it. It, like, it made no sense to me at all. Like, why didn't why didn't they fire McCagnan, bring in Joe Douglas, and let Joe Douglas hire the coach that he wanted? Why they? It just made no sense from the start. So what, yeah. the start. What's his claim to fame? It's Manning and Peyton Manning. Right? Yeah, Peyton Manning in Denver, right? Like, <laughs> we could coach Peyton Manning in Denver. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Peyton Manning in Denver was his own coach. I mean, like, You're right. he was pretty much the offensive coordinator. Adam Gase could have sat at home all year, and they still would have won however many games. <laughs> one that year maybe more adam gase yeah. lost him a couple games that year it's like joe girardi being the skipper for the was in 2009 yankees like my dad my dad probably says this once a year i could have coached that team to a world series <laughs> yeah it's crazy i do think this year though i think gase is, is set up for success he's got the gm that he wants he's got the team that he wants so i think if he's going to have a good year this is the year so it's, it's got to wait and see now it's all going to come down to that offensive line, man. If if they can sure up, which I think they did a good job this offseason, signing some depth, they were like they were one of the worst injured teams on the offensive line last year. Um, and so they, they shored up some depth, obviously drafted uh, Becton. And if they can sure up that offensive line and protect Darnold, I think Darnold has the potential to take that step forward. Um, so we'll see. Anthony, as an outsider, do you have an AFC East um, way too early prediction for who wins the division? I would say I want to take Buffalo, but I can't pick against New England, so I'm going with the Patriots. Fair. That's fair. Got yeah. Until they show us that they're weak, you can't pick against them. But go I get for- that, but people um, just suck off People just suck off Belichick so much to think they're going to win with Stidham. Like, I, do. just, I don't see really that good. happening. You might be I, hope they're, I hope they're terrible. Me too. Oh, not yeah. too terrible because like, I don't want them to get Trevor Lawrence. That's all. Right. <laughs> that's true. We want them to what they have like the Patriot. ninth or tenth tenth pick. I'd like that. Um, Scott, I think I think to me the the answer for the Jets is consistency on all sides, right? Consistency on the coaching staff, consistency on the offensive line, with the offense, uh, with like general management management rather. I think. They'll all just feed off each other. I think if they each have consistency going on the opposite side, it's just going to feed that organization on the whole, and I think they'll, yeah. they'll take the next step. I really do think they're going to be better than they were last year. Yeah. I mean, they start, They finished the season very strong. Obviously, you know, the last game of the season. They were yeah, they, they had, like, the best yeah. record over the last seven games of the season or something, and, and you have to take into account Darnold with, with freaking Mono the first four or five weeks. Um and then I, here's the thing, though. The Jets had a lot more holes than just offensive line. Um, they, they needed uh, some defensive backs. Their cornerbacks are terrible. Um, they still need some weapons on the outside. Mims hopefully can, can help that out a little bit. But like you said, Dan, he's a little bit boom or bust. We don't really know what we're going to get with him. Um, he's obviously got the legs, but route running is important in the NFL. Like He's coming up against a whole different caliber of talent here. So they have other holes to fill. I don't, I don't know. I think they'll, they'll – if they can play as well as they did second half of last season, I think I'll be pleasantly surprised. But there's a lot of holes in this team. A hot take. I think that the Bills – this is a couple, couple Coronas deep, but I think the Bills are a clear 
notch above the rest of the division now that the Patriots have stood them. But I think that the other three teams are decent enough. I think all three of those teams either go seven and nine or eight and eight. In one of those, um, and the Bills win the division at ten and six. So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised either. I could I could see each team winning seven games. I could see each team winning nine games. Right. Some winning ten. Like I, especially with this schedule. Like there are so, there are a lot of unknowns in this schedule too. What's New England going to be? Are, are like there's the potential that the Bills and the Jets could lose to New England twice or beat New England twice. I know. Like, no, it's crazy. It is crazy. I just, I'm just yeah, anxious to see a Bill Belichick-led team without Tom Brady. Oh, it's going to be very exciting. Tom Brady-led team without Bill Belichick. And, and people keep bringing up, like, oh, he did it with Matt Castle, and he's done it with Jimmy Garoppolo and Kobe Brissett. First of all, he didn't do it with Brissett. He did not. And Garoppolo was fine to second-round pick. And But that team that Castle had around him was sweet. That was a very, very good So good. Team stinks. And they got worse on defense. They still don't have offensive playmakers. They drafted two tight ends. Great. That's fine. Pack the box. Run the ball with Sony Michelle. It's fine. It's it's if they're gonna win, they're gonna win ugly. And I'm sure that he'll keep him in games and they will never get blown out, especially for one of these division teams that they know each other so well. But I have trouble seeing that team win. You you gotta think if you're gonna win the division, you win ten games, and you can't tell me Jared Stidham is gonna or Brian Hoyer is gonna lead a team to ten in this division. And they're yeah. right against the cap, too, which is crazy. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, like, I think going after Cam Newton would be a sweet move. I love Cam Newton. I can't believe he's not signed by anybody. They can't sign him. They can't. Yeah, they, they don't have the money. Uh, unless they trade wow. unless they trade the, the guy that, that guard that they just franchise tag or trade Shaq Mason, they're not going to be able to sign him. The, the, thing about Brady, the thing about Brady fucking them over is so funny is that he did it at a time when – he did like after a point, so he cost sixteen million against their cap this year, which is <laughs> so awesome. That's why everyone's saying he did it on purpose? Like, yeah, he, he's good for him. It's a fuck Bill over. Yep. Hmm. I could see the Bills Patriots games being like six three. I know, and it's funny because I it, when we went through the schedule, I like like logically thinking I would love the Bills go six zero in this division, but you can't you can't ever do that in my opinion or it'd be very it's very hard so but so I don't see the Bills losing the home opener I don't see no offense I I see them losing at New York but I just don't see that either I don't see them losing at home against Miami but I guess Miami week two when it's super hot you can and realistically I think they could beat New England twice but that second one's a late game Monday night in New England so it can I'm, I don't know there's just so many variables especially yeah, I mean I don't know if fans every- are going in Every year I go into the season saying we're going to beat Miami twice, and they always come away with one. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no matter how bad that team is, they find a way to win at home usually. Uh, right. And, and they play the division tough. They always yeah. do. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, all right. So, walking out of the AFC East a little bit, let's transfer over to the NFC. And let's talk a little Giants. What are your thoughts? Uh, the Giants' schedule is pretty tough, too. Their first three weeks, they play the Steelers, the Bears, and the 49ers, three of the best defenses in the NFL. So we're going to find out if their offensive line is truly better or not very early on in the season. They're going to be tested. I think this is going to be a tough year for the Giants, obviously. You know, they have a first-year head coach, a second-year quarterback who's still developing, still very raw. Uh, I like the direction that they're headed, but, you know, I'm not too optimistic they're going to 
make any headway in the division. You know, the Eagles are pretty good. The Cowboys are stacked. Uh, I think I think the Redskins are going to be bad. So I think the Giants will finish third in the division, but I think they're a five-win team probably. So what? Uh, Joe Judge to me was the most surprising hire of the offseason, just because no one really knew who he was. What are people thinking about him so far? So far, uh, I've never heard anything bad about him. He's a pretty no-nonsense guy, which uh, he kind of reminds me of like Tom Coughlin a little bit in that aspect. So I think the fan base is a little excited about that. Pat Shermer was kind of a kind of a pushover. He was kind of soft. So uh, this is like a kind of a, a change, which is which could be good. You know, the Giants were successful under Coughlin, so we're hoping that maybe Judge will bring some of that uh, winning experience from New England here. So I think uh, overall we're pretty excited about Joe Judge. He seems like he was a good hire in my opinion. Did you like the Andrew Thomas pick? I did. Uh, I think he was the most pro-ready left tackle in the draft. So I think it was a good pick. I don't know if you could say maybe it was a reach at three, but uh, I think most teams had him as their number one tackle on their board. We just didn't know about it because he played he played left, ta- left tackle in college and he went against the best guys and he performed well. So I, I think it was a good pick. It wasn't a great pick, but it was, it was a solid pick. Did you want an offensive tackle? Like I thought – like, I think Isaiah Simmons falling to seven was crazy just because he's like a Swiss Army knife. But I guess if you have a franchise quarterback that you can't protect, you might as well go protect him. Yeah, I wanted to tackle, 100%. Are you a Daniel Jones guy? Uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't when we picked him, I'm not going to lie. Oh, yeah. I remember that. So I, I'm in a group chat with Ant and all of our other New York Giants friends from college. And, boy, that night was a doozy in that group chat. I when wasn't the, when we picked him because taking a football player from Duke is just in the first round just sounds like a terrible <laughs> idea. I don't care who it is, you know. We're not we're not playing basketball. We're playing football, so I was petrified. But he did show some promise last year. Okay, I, was, I was very surprised with his upside. So uh, it's a little too early to tell. I think he has the tools to be successful, but uh, we'll dude, see. I think he looked good. <laughs> Danny Dimes, baby. He fumbled the thing every game, but if he doesn't do that, I lost a fantasy game, a big important one. Uh, (laughs) It was like two – I'm sure you guys will remember the game. It was Monday night. It was like two seconds left. All Jones needed to do was anything but fumble for a touchdown return for the Cowboys. And remember that? Yeah. And I lost by like a point. You know, the guy had the defense of the Cowboys. If he gets his fumble problem under control, then – because that was a huge issue. I think they're going to put up points. I think the Giants are going to put up points this year, you know. I think they have some offensive weapons. I think the line's going to be better. I think Jason Garrett's actually going to be a good offensive coordinator. That's a great – I love that. That's a great I – lo- I really like that signing. But and, um, so I have I, a question. I do not know much about this current Giants team. I knew a lot about those Super Bowl teams because they kept beating New England, so that kind of fell in love with them as my <laughs> – But this team, like, in terms of, like, obviously they're – at least from what you said, they're not ready to win right now, but what pieces do they have right now put in place besides Daniel Jones, who I'm assuming they're going to want to be the franchise guy moving forward that you can see being part of the core? I think DeAndre Baker, the corner they drafted last year, is going to be a pretty good player. I think he's young. Uh, Jabril Peppers is another player that they traded for. They just drafted Xavier McKinney, so Xavier McKinney and Jabril Peppers. Oh, yeah, I like him. Safety tandem for the future, which I think they could build around. Um 
from the defensive line aspect, I think they're pretty weak. You know, they. Did you like them? Williams. I hated signing Len Williams. Yeah, I figured. <laughs> yeah. Talking about I think their, their defense is still very much a work in progress. Uh, their secondary should be better this year, like I just said, but they're deep. They have no. They have really no pass rushers, which is a problem. You know, I think that's that's the main issue. I think they're going to run into and. I was surprised they didn't really address it in the draft more, but we're just going to have to wait and see. Hey, Ant, do you, go ahead. Do you have any concerns, Ant, that by the time the Giants are ready to win, that, that Saquon Barkley might be a little burnt out from all the touches he's gotten the last couple of years? Um, I'm more concerned about having to pay him in, like, two years than anything else. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point, too. It's just the fact that, like, he gets a ton of touches, man. Passing it, running it, he gets beat up. I'm like in the new philosophy is I don't believe in paying running backs and I don't believe in drafting running backs in the first round. So obviously it was, it was exciting when they took him, you know, but I'm not excited to pay that guy Christian McCaffrey money. in like, in yeah. Years. So that's, do you know who has the most rushing touchdowns from that draft class? I'm sure it's somebody in like the fourth round. Josh Allen. Josh Allen. So that's, that's what I was going to ask you. They're, I think next. So next year, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts because they have nothing else to talk about, about these fifth-year options. So after after their third year, you have to decide whether you want to pick up a player's fifth-year option. And they're talking like they, if you're going to pick a guy second overall, you have to sign him to big money. So there's no sure. they're going to sign him to monster money. That's just a weird way to build a team right now. So exactly what you said, this new school thinking where you can just recycle running backs. Now at the same time, Barkley's a freak, so. Uh, it is, you know, it's it's nice to have a guy like that. But, like, the Bills just – Zach Moss in the third round. So, they have two running backs on rookie deals for three years making that minimum salary. And then they'll probably let Singletary walk and just keep recycling those running backs. So, just a different – interesting how the two teams are choosing to build their offenses. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I agree with that philosophy, too. I don't see the point in taking a – taking a running back that early and paying a running back that much money when you see all these teams taking very serviceable and efficient running backs in the third and fourth round year in and year out, you know, so. It's, it's just so hard to value a running back that high when his shelf life is maybe six years. It's like, it's great. Yeah. I'm old fashioned. You pay left tackles and you pay edge rushers. That's who I pay. I don't, I don't and you pay star wide receiver. That's it. Uh, the trenches. You got to focus on the trenches. Loco, I always trust your sports opinion. <laughs> I'm old-fashioned old when it comes to that. But huh? All right. Did you um, – Sean, did you look up the over-under win totals? I did. I did. So, yeah, let's, let's breeze through those, right? So, uh, let's go in the same order. Let's start with Buffalo. So, the over-under for the Bills this year is set at nine wins. Oh, fuck. Hammer the over. Hammer that over. Okay, I'm so Damn. glad. I, I, I figured if, we'd all be in agreement. If it ever drops eight and a half, I'd bet my life on it. But I'm very <laughs> confident in still taking over nine. Hammer it, baby. Hammer it. Absolutely. I, Dan, you were talking earlier about friends talking 12 and 4, 13 3. I don't see us oh, getting that high. Crazy. I think, yeah, I think yeah, 11 and 5. Out. I think 11 and 5 is our mark. You know, we had an easy schedule, like you said, last year. Uh, this year, I think, according to Sports Illustrated, we've got the sixth hardest. Um, but I think, we, you know, we've got a better team. 
all it takes is one injury or one guy. I mean, those all change anyway. Exactly. I like what you said earlier. I, I'm a firm believer that we this team will never get blown out because of McDermott and because of the defense. So yeah. that, that's why it's nice going into each game. Knowing you're not, like Even against Kansas City, I, I, I think that they'll do enough to slow them down. Now, whether they have the horses on offense to match Kansas City's offense, I, I mean – that's that's just a freakish offense. I think they're like they might set yeah. especially getting Clyde Edwards Hilaire. I love that pick for him. But yeah. But it, it is nice having a defense that keeps you in the game. No, I agree. I think the obviously the the scariest offense we faced last year, in my opinion, was Baltimore. And that was a close that was a freaking close game. And I think Kansas City is going to be the test, right? So that if there's any offense that's better than Baltimore, it's Kansas City. And if we can hold them within a score, I mean that that I in my eyes, is a true testament to our ability to defend the defend the ball. So, all right, so we're picking the over for the Bills. Jet uh, Jets over under. Scott, you ready for this? Seven wins. Well, we don't get to all pick the over unders for the Bills. You oh, sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. A local's gonna push it. Anthony's gonna push it. <laughs> all right, Ant. Ant over under. I'm for the taking Bills. them to win nine games. So push. Okay. <laughs> um, I wouldn't be a Jets fan if I hammered the over, so I'm taking the under. Fair. That's fair. Biased. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> Biased. Typical Jets fan. Realistically, I, I see them winning 10 games. So if, be if I was actually putting my money on it, I you got to take the over. You're a smart man. Smart Josh man. Allen just scares me. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, you know what it's like? I've been trying to – so we're teachers, and it's like that class that just comes in and he's just the life of the class. He's personable. He's funny. He's getting a sarcasm as like a fifth grader, but he just won't shut the fuck up when you're trying to teach. So he drives you crazy too, and that's that's what I associate with. I love him. I, I, I haven't wanted someone to win this bad just for the city because he seems like just a great guy too, but he just does some – crazy shit and in my opinion the crazy shit he does is just not if Josh Allen goes down the season's over because Matt is your quarterback so the fact that Josh Allen just refuses to slide and I guess he, he still doesn't understand that those two extra yards midway through the second quarter at their own 33 aren't going to win the game that's what scares me the most about Josh Allen yeah yes, I, I agree man. I would I'm more scared of him getting hurt than not being a good player this year Yes, correct. Oh, we're on the Jets, right? They're over yeah. OU is seven. Yep. I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna push that. I think they win seven games. I think this is the perfect over under for them because they're right at that mark. Um, I could see them winning seven games. I could see them not see it, but a couple of things fall their way. They could win nine, but I I would take a push here too. Under, under. Oh, fuck off. You could set it at four, and I'm taking the under. No, I, I got. I, I honestly, it's that's. It's going to be six or seven. I'm gonna take the under because you took the Bills under. So fuck you. Fair enough. And I like the over. I think the Jets are going to win eight games this year. My yeah. dude. I gotta say, it it pains me to say. I, I would agree. I think it's going to be eight games too. Um, Eight and eight wild card spot? No. Mm, wow. <laughs> crazy. Division, shitty draft pick. The AFC is too good. 
No, and you're still the Jets. Yeah, Jets would never get that lucky. I'm, I'm more tempted to go over than under on the Jets, though. I agree. Yeah, I agree. I don't. I do not see them winning only six games unless Darnold gets a a second version of mono here. I don't. I do not see them getting six wins. They're not winning ten, but they might win eight or nine. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I'm. So again, I listen to the. I walk the dog every morning and then afternoon. So I listen to the same podcast, and one of the guys is um, a Dolphins like beat writer. So I don't know if if I'm biased because that, but or, or just because I'm so terrified of their head coach as a human. But I just I'm high on the Dolphins this year, and I think I'm probably a year too early. But I really so I think the Dolphins are going to finish second. So I, I think that it'll be they'll like I said they'll all be muddled around, and I could be dead wrong. They could just suck because Fitz is. Yes. But um, I, I think that the Dolphins will be right there at seven or eight, and then the Patriots and Jets will be right there be like five to seven. Are you expecting the Dolphins to finish second with two? Yeah, that was my that was my hot take. Yep, I think that they're going to finish second. But so I, you think two is going to play? I think that he's going to get. I think they'll start off like two and four, but that fourth loss will be like a, one of those Fitz games where like you're like, okay, that was fun. Let's 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 call it. And then Tua comes in and does well. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, they, but. I've read there's still concerns about his like his hip and like they might sit him this whole season just to make sure he's healthy. And I, I don't think and if I were them, I probably would do that. And I but I think that like the Bills, they're they're set with not set, but their defense is good enough, especially with the players they brought in is gonna keep them in a lot of games. And I think that Fitz is but Fitz balls out some games. Yeah, so, he, does. Yeah, he does. does. Fitz magic. So I think that they're gonna be right around um Right around the same area. Like I said, I, I it's really a toss-up for me, the Patriots, Jets, and Dolphins. But I'm, I'm on a high with the Dolphins right now because I love I mean, the coaching staff. I love that what they're Brian building. Flores is probably my favorite new coach in the league. Yeah, yeah. He, he is horrifying. He's horrifying. Yeah, so. you see, it, did you see, like, even <laughs> his kids next to him when they were doing the draft, all three of them were just staring at the screen like this. <laughs> Not even a little, a little um, glimmer of a grin or anything. Yeah, I'm, I'm not ashamed a, to say it. Brian, Brian Flores' kids could beat the shit out of me. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. He's a Belichick coaching tree guy, right? Yep. Yeah. 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 Yeah, he's good. So, uh, that, I, that's what the only thing under. And then, what are the Giants at, Sean? So, yeah, the Giants over-under is set at six and a half. I don't even – I have no idea. Anthony, you start. Hammer in the under. Really? Hammer in the under. <laughs> okay. Have to agree. They got a new head coach. They're not even – they can't meet right now. Everything's virtual, so everyone's – That's true. That's a great point. That's a really good point. Um, their defense is terrible. Still going to be terrible. <laughs> uh, they're going to score points, but they're not going to be able to stop anybody. So, they're they're a five-win team. Hammer the under. You're welcome. Hammer the under. Easy money. Yeah, under. Hammer that. You sold me. Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I'm going with the under. Yeah. And, and you made a good point too, because right, everything's do, going virtual, which is hard for an established team to do. Uh, but nonetheless, a, a team that isn't as established with the new head coach, like, like you a said, second-year quarterback has to learn a whole new offense with a first-year head coach virtually. It's going to be a shit show. Like the first actually, five or six weeks are going to be a shit show. It's an excellent yeah. point. It's not something I actually considered. That's an excellent point. You, you could say that for any new quarterback. It doesn't even have to be a new head coach, but a, a new quarterback coming in trying to learn a new system. So all these rookies are going to have some, some trouble too, 
I think. I'm also not on the Tua train at all. I think he's going to be – I'm with you, career, man. And I think it's going to be a terrible pick by the Dolphins. But... I'm with you. So do you like Herbert, love... then? What? So do you like Herbert? I didn't love either of them, to be honest. But I didn't love the quarterbacks in this draft. You don't like Burrow? Burrow – Burrow's, Burrow's the exception. Burrow's a home run. Like, yeah, Burrow's the exception. But Burrow was like up here, and all the other quarterbacks were down here to me. And these teams were were racing to the top to to see who they could get after Burrow. And I think they were kind of wasting their time. I just don't see these quarterbacks. Look how far from and uh, what's the other guy's name dropped. I mean, I just don't think these quarterbacks are are going to be valued that high. I would have. I wouldn't have taken Tua because it just – if you get hurt in college, you're going to get hurt in the pros. That's just my theory. It's, it's old school. It's old school. <laughs> old school. I do actually do like Herbert's build. He's a big, big prototypical passer. Uh, he didn't have much to work with in Oregon, so I think I think he could be successful in the NFL. I think Tua hey, stays healthy would be great, but I just don't see him staying healthy. Herbert's got great hair. He's got a He's great head of hair guy. on him. Yeah. He is a handsome man. He is a handsome fellow. <laughs> Not unlike uh, myself. Uh, <laughs> you know what, Scott? Your enthusiasm would have really helped my self-esteem there. <laughs> yeah, Scott. All right. Thank you. I agree with you. Yeah, you got it. Bill, Dan, you guys take the uh, the under on the, the six and a half for the guys. Oh, yeah. He's, Anthony he knows more than me. I'll take what he says. Exactly. Right. Same. Preach, Ant. Preach. That's my most confident bet of the night. Oh, wow. Billy and Dan are going to bet their life savings on it on Ant's word. <laughs> Deal. No pressure there. Not much. That's not much. But I like that's not, what's the Patriots owe <laughs> you? Money. I'd like to know that. Put real money on the Jets over already. Let me look at it real quick. I got oh, yeah, a on the site I'm looking at. A nine. Boy. Do you have it up right there or no? I'm pulling it up right now. I don't have it if you have it. I got him at nine on the CBS as of two days ago, and I think that's easy under. I think that that's yeah. insane that you think that Stidham yeah. or Hoyer are going to lead that team to nine wins. I take the under there too. Yeah, same yeah, under. Push. Stidham's not winning nine games. That's what I'm saying it's not winning nine games. This is a quarterback-driven league. I don't care who your coach is. Thank you. Yep. Sorry. All right. Bill right. Belichick so. nine games. I'm hammering that under. I'm hammering that under. Stidham is not winning nine games. I don't know what he I is. I gotta yet. tell you. You can't say he's not winning nine games. You don't know what he is yet. You have to see it's what he true. is. True. I, I know. I know what he is. His first pass in the NFL was intercepted for a pick six by Jamal Adams. Look at Peyton Manning's first year. His stats. Come on. Let's, let's be honest. Peyton Manning was the second overall pick, though. Yeah. <laughs> he broke the. Record for most interceptions by a quarterback in his rookie season. True. I just, I just want to see Ed Oliver bring Stidham down so hard, at least six times. Yes. No, I'm very excited. Freaking wheel routes to freaking running backs every play. You're gonna see James well, White fifteen passes a game. Well, right. I hate it's, James White. <laughs> I think they. I think the Patriots have a predictable running game because every time Sony Michelle is out there, they run it because Sony Michelle can't catch as. I mean, well, James White number one is, is is an incredible offensive tool, but when White's out there, you know that they're probably going to pass to him and Michelle they're going to run it. So I just I don't know. I think their defense lost a step this off season. Offense lost potentially the biggest step in NFL history. 
uh, there's no way. There's no way there's any chance of an over there. I'm, I'm going very excited all about the way. I'm more excited about the than the NFC East. The, yeah, and I think the AFC East, like we, we mentioned it when we were talking schedules, has a very tough schedule this year. The whole AFC East has a tough schedule. I think yeah. nine games for, for a new quarterback, I, I just – I don't see it happening. I don't care who your coach is. All right. So let's uh, travel over to a different sport, Major League Baseball. Um, earlier this week, it was reported that the league has proposed a plan to return in July, which is very exciting. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of stipulations um, and details behind the whole thing. You know, it'd be obviously a shorter season with 82 games, expanded playoffs with 14 teams making it. So that there's an, uh, an additional two wild card teams there, a universal DH. My favorite part of it is the division sort of restructuring, right? So for example, the American League West, the, the Angels, for example, would play the American League West and the National League West to uh, minimize travel for teams, uh, which I have a great question for you cats in a second. Um, expanded rosters. Um, obviously, no fans to begin the the league. But the the biggest part of it is the the plan for revenue, right? So the proposition is that players and the the teams would split all revenue fifty fifty, uh, which obviously for the players is a huge uh, non-starter for them. A lot of players are they think that they've sacrificed enough already. Um, in both money and also health risks. Um, and a lot of, a lot of players aren't, aren't happy about it, even though there is a chance for some players, some players, not most, uh, to actually make more money under this, this proposition. So, so I don't know, I'll open the, up the floor here. Um, Dan, what are your thoughts on, on the, the proposition? I, I think it's, I don't think the players are going to go for it. I think it's funny that the owners are crying that we're going to lose so much money. So they don't even want to prorate it. They just want to split whatever their revenue is or something like that. But from what I listened to on uh, very briefly, I was taking a nap today and they're talking about, I'm pardon my take. They're saying that the owners are, are bitching about it, but not explaining why they're going to lose so much money. They just keep like, they have no real, real proof, which of course you're going to lose money like that with no um, fans or concessions or anything like that. But something tells me that these owners are going to still do be okay as opposed to the players who a lot of them, I mean, obviously they're making more than the average Joe, but, they're, they're the ones going out there with significant health risks and interacting for the most part with one another. So I don't think the players are going to approve it. You got guys like Mark Teixeira um, tweeting out that, or saying on record that, you know, he'd want to give hope to people and blah, blah, blah. Go fuck yourself, Mark. You were a fucking goofball when you played. I hated you then. I don't want your opinion <laughs> now. You're not the one playing. So, um, I, I don't know. I'd be very surprised if they did it this way. If they did it, I think it's, I love chaos and weird shit in sports, so I, I would love it. Um, I think it'd be sweet seeing the Mets and Red Sox play and the Yankees and Mets playing a lot. Um, you know, as a Mets fan, it'd be entertaining at least because you know that they're going to either suck or be good enough to break your heart at the end. So I think it'd at least be entertaining for me, but um, I don't think I would be surprised if it ends up happening. I look at it as a, um, <clears throat> a huge possible win for the MLB if they can figure this thing out. Because you're looking at an 82-game season, so every single game will be hyped up a little bit more. There's not a ton to watch in the summer to begin with. I think viewership would be great. And I think 
it would create more parity. It's not a 162-game season. So, like, the teams, like the bottom-dweller teams can look at it like, hey, we got a chance here, 82 games, and I think it'll create, a, like, a really aggressive league, and I think it could be really fun. And in a time where, like, baseball interest, especially with young people, has kind of gone on the fritz, I think they have a big opportunity if they can figure this thing out. Yeah. I agree. I think the opportunities there, but I'm kind of on Dan's side here where I, I, I'm struggling to see how they make ends meet here and, and the players kind of agree to this. Um, I, I think it'd be awesome. I, I miss baseball so much. I want it to happen so badly. Um, Are you a Yankee fan? No, I'm a Mets fan. So oh, I did know that, dude. I did know that. Yeah. I just, I, I want baseball so badly. Um, I just, I, I was just kind of scrolling through Twitter last night. I don't know if you guys sh- saw Sean Doolittle's rant yeah. Oh yeah, from Washington. He made some good points. And I, I, I think a lot of MLB players are on his side here. Um, and I just listen, aside from the top, maybe 15% of the players in the league, a lot of these other guys who are, are bench players, uh, like it, they're going to struggle to make ends meet and with the health benefits or with the health health concerns that they're going to go through and things like that. So I don't know. I think um, it, it's just hard to see this all kind of playing out, but God, I would love for baseball to return. Agreed. I think they'll figure it out. I think they'll make a deal. Uh, I don't think it's going to be revenue sharing because MLB is like the strongest players union, like at any sport. And if they give, a, they give an inch, you know, eventually these owners will try to take a mile, you know, not maybe not this year, but, Maybe next year they'll try to address the salary cap, get rid of it or something, and they're not gonna they're not gonna go for that. But I do think that the players and the owners will eventually come to the table because it's gonna look really bad with all this going on right now if the players don't stop playing, and it's gonna look bad for the owners if they they're gonna look very greedy to the public eye too. So I think something will get done. I don't know what's gonna get done, but I think we're gonna have baseball in July, and I'm very excited. Uh, I'm a Mets fan too, so by game 40, I won't be excited anymore. But it'll be <laughs> for the season, and then, uh, but they're definitely they'll they'll figure it out. They'll make it work. Everyone wants to make money at the end of the day, and if they don't play, nobody's going to make money. So they'll make a deal. Well, that's very you know, it's a good point. I mean, obviously, I have my fingers crossed that everything's going to be worked out too. But Dan, you made a really good point earlier too, right? So the owners, like. Many of the owners in Major League Baseball, the fact that they own a baseball team isn't their only horse in the, in the race, right? So a lot of them have a lot of other financial ventures, let's call them. Uh, so this really wouldn't be a devastating blow to them if things didn't work out. And I do think that, that players kind of have that same mentality that, oh, they're not sacrificing as much as we would be in this situation. And I do think if they do come to an agreement – and I think Jeff Passon said this on ESPN, is that they're going to have to straight up, and I think they met yesterday, but the league is going to have to show exactly how much ownership would be sacrificing in this situation. If you want players to, to sacrifice pay, they are going to have to like put up a, a freaking 75 PowerPoint slide uh, showing, walking through exactly how this will affect ownership. Because if that is not 100% transparent, I don't see the players going for it. Um, and others, oh, go ahead. No, and I'm just like, because I was throwing these figures out yesterday when we were prepping, right? So last year, uh, Forbes 
estimated Major League Baseball's revenue at $10.7 billion across the league. And uh, I was reading an ESPN article that did some quote-unquote rough math on the, uh, on the back of a napkin, but essentially estimated revenue would go down to $4.8 billion total for this year, and that would be the total that would split 50-50. Um, I would like to know. I would like to know the profit of each team, not not just the revenue, because you have to imagine if the Pirates are spending that little on their roster, then right, and they still probably a decent enough revenue to put out a, a pretty good profit. So, that obviously the ten point eight billion in revenue is great, but when you're paying certain players like a hundred, like twenty, that what, like twenty five million a year, I mean that that chips away at that pretty easily. Right. Another right. Thing I want yeah. to talk about was. You know, people talk about no matter what sport we're talking about right now with this pandemic, whether it's hockey or basketball, wanting to come back for a little bit. There's certain people that say, oh, it won't be the same like with a shortened season. Like there'll be an asterisk next to it and everything. I think that's bullshit, especially with baseball. If they just start up right now because, um, like, no one talks about – like, I know in the mid-'90s there was a strike, and then it ended that year because I remember the, it's famous that the Expos were in first place. But – if you look back, like no one take no one talks about that 2013 Blackhawks team as having an asterisk next to it. And I found out today, doing some research for that dude we interviewed from the Bulls, that that 98-99 season that the Spurs won, um, that was a shortened season. And no one ever I, I never knew that, so no one talks about it. So I think that's bullshit. I don't think there'd be any asterisk at all for any of these championships. No, yeah, I don't I agree. Yeah, I agree. I don't think there there should be an asterisk or anything like that. I think it'll be interesting to see if they do something um within the league. There's obviously gonna be a lot of rule changes. Um and it's gonna be interesting to see how they work and going forward, what are they gonna implement into a normal season? Say eighty two games is super competitive. Are they gonna shorten the season going forward? I, I think mean, they should. They think I think they should too. There's been a lot of advocacy for for cutting 162 down to 120 something mm -hmm. like that. um so if there's super competitive baseball going on all season rather than just people being hyped about it in april may kind of dying down june july august and then getting back into it september right. they start the season later shorten the season a little bit and baseball's hyped out all throughout the summer when nothing else is going on a great point. point out is if hockey and basketball come back and all three sports are going on in the summer. That would be sweet. That would be oh sweet. I heard something that if this works out for hockey, they would be very smart for the NHL season to yeah. push back next year to start in November, December. Yep. And their playoffs run through into August and make their offseason the fall rather than the summer because baseball is their only competitor then. And hockey playoffs, I think, would run baseball into the ground. Oh, for sure. But I think that the only the only feet the only pushback you're gonna get on that is if you're an NHL player, why the fuck would you want to give up your summer? Totally. To play as opposed to you know what I mean. But I guess in the long run, if it gets you more money because you're gonna get more revenue, whatever the logistics are, I guess it wouldn't really matter. It might give them some leverage too. Yeah, and just in the next CBA, it might give the right. leverage to get something they want. Give up a couple months in the summer. Obviously, they still get their off season in end of August, September, October. Um, but I agree. I, I, I listen to Spit and Chickless podcast and they talk yeah. about summer. Yeah, that's, they go through all the time. Yeah. So I that's find right. it hard that's, to believe they yeah. want to give that up. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. I have a question for you guys, right? So Bill talked about a, less of a parity between teams, right? And that uh, there was something that I read in one of those articles too that said if you look at last year, 
kind of split in half, right? And not just 82, not the first 82 games, but the first 72 games. So say you're 72 games into the season, there's 10 games left. What was the standing, what were the standings like? What did the league look like? And at that time in 72 games last year, there were like 22 out of the 30 teams were within four games of the top 14 spots. So we're talking a large amount of teams in the league would, would, would be in it. And which excites me as a Pittsburgh resident, see the Pirates mm-hmm. uh, potentially be in it at that point because they're, they're typically very hot at the beginning of the season and cool way down, probably as, as cool as they can get. Um, so, and with this restructuring in divisions, right, what do you think would be the hardest, pa- which division, the East, Central, West, which would be the hardest route to the playoffs, which would be the easiest route to the playoffs? Bill, why don't you start? Uh, not the question I wanted to be started with. I was just going to say right before you asked that question, I've heard a lot of rumors of Francisco Lindor. Um, Cleveland doesn't want to pay him. He could be traded. They want to trade him. And you just think about like his trade market, like who wouldn't want an elite shortstop right now. But um, if I'm thinking off the top of my head, um, I don't know. I probably wouldn't want to play probably the AL East and the NL East, right? I think, yeah. yeah. I think it's between the East and the West. Uh, obviously, the East has Yankees. Red Sox are probably going to be kind of bad this year. Nationals, champs. Um, Phillies are, all, are up and coming. I think uh, the Rays have been good the last couple of years, but they also I love, have I love the Braves. Yeah, well, here's the thing. The Braves would get moved to the Central. Oh. So, apparently, if they did this East-West Central, the Braves would move to the Central and the Pirates would move to the East. Well, that changes my pick. I was going to say that the Central would be the easiest route. Yeah, that's what I would say. Easiest route would have been this would be – I think it's still the Central. It's really got Cubs, Brewers, Braves. Indians, too. Yeah, Uh. Dude, when you put that many teams in one in one basket, you're gonna it's gonna no matter where you look at it, it's gonna be difficult. It's gonna be oh, difficult. I just look at the overall thing is I think it could be super, super fun if they can figure this out, man. Like Oh, for sure. But are they saying two two in every division? Or no? Are they saying how would they how are they doing that? How how would they do the playoffs? They would just do the same how is it still So it would be a fourteen 14-team postseason. Um, so I'm, I'm assuming that would be, just looking at this, uh, I don't know, maybe like three division winners and then some wild card teams. Three, six, nine, and then maybe right. two wild yeah, card I think, teams. I think it is two wild card teams. So it'd be one from each division and then two wild card. Six, then- nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. Yeah, something like that. I don't know how it would work, but. You're gonna yeah. you're gonna get more teams making the playoffs. Obviously, listen, it it gives teams who haven't really put a, a great roster together the potential to to maybe make a run if they get hot. I mean, it, think it, about how much run. think about how think about how much excitement was added to the MLB season just adding an extra wild card a few years ago. You know what I mean? So it's only gonna make it even more exciting to have teams all the way in. It. And again, that means more chance for a playoff. So you know owners are going to be all about it. Yeah. I think it would be fascinating. Uh, as, as, listen, baseball purists are going to hate it. 
Yep. They're going to absolutely hate it. But speaking of purists and old school, Anthony, what do you think about all this? <laughs> I just want sports back. Uh, I'm, not a, I'm not excited about this universal DH thing, which is going to happen. If they bring it back, they already agreed. Everyone's going to hit. No pitchers are going to hit anymore, which pisses me off. I like, I like old school baseball. I like the pitcher hitting. If, especially because I think the Mets have probably the best hitting staff in the major league, so I think it's an advantage for us. But with that being said, Cespedes will probably DH for us this year, so maybe maybe that'll be a good thing. But uh, I just want sports back. I hope they figure it out. One way and you sound like – you sound like Tom Jane's character in Arrested Development, Homeless Dad. I guess I just want my kids back. Yeah, I just, I just, want, sports. I just want sports back. I'm t- yeah, I was so <laughs> NFL draft for like weeks. I was looking forward to it. And then once that weekend was over, I was like in a depression. Like no one. Yeah. It was terrible. And now I just miss sports. So I'll Any, Anybody been watching Korean baseball? Yeah, I'm watching Cornhole on ESPN. You know, like how, how pathetic. I've been watching – I've been watch. I was watching corn uh, cornhole last week and Korean baseball. It's yeah. If you can stay up till two a.m. every night and watch Korean baseball, I call you a baseball purist. <laughs> I think uh, if I heard it correct, I think Aaron Altair is playing. The guy is that, that was, right? I think he was yeah. The guy in the Mets from last year. Was he on the Mets last year? Yeah. yeah. He the was Mets on the Braves for years, wasn't he? The, Ph- the Phillies, I think. Phillies. Okay. Like, yeah. 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 For the Mets, he was like 087. He was awful. Good athlete, though. <laughs> Good athlete. Yeah, that, yeah my, my buddies have been. My buddies have been winning a good amount of money on the dinos. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't know where they're from or whatever, but I know they've been betting them. Uh, the only thing I know about the Korean baseball league is that they have the filthiest bat flips. Yeah. The filthiest bat flips. I have seen I that. Start, I need to keep watching them because I didn't see any of those. Jeff oh, Passan Jeff Passan did like a stream of tweets about all the Korean bat flips from last year. They're unreal. Is it like Joey Batista in the playoffs? It's, level? it's worse, dude. It's like they do, it for, they do it for singles and double and like doubles up the gap. <laughs> yeah. It's like a it's like a welcome thing, not like a disrespectful thing. Yeah. Oh, hey, you guys might find this somewhat interesting. I uh, when I you know I was a Red Sox fan growing up and a Red Sox fan through Cortland, and then, like, just gradually changed. And I'm more of a Mets fan now than I'd say a Red Sox fan, just because I'm able to associate them. They're like the Bills, I think, of the MLB. I really do. Um, and I've kind of fallen in love with them. So I'm, I'm on the Mets train. You're a massive boy, Bill. Attaboy. Sean, you're the odd man out here, Faulkner. No, I'm not. Bill's a textbook masochist, but – I well, I will say that, that you know, being I grew up an Angels fan because my my aunt lives oh, yeah. in Anaheim and she would send me Thunder Sticks and Jim Abbott autographs and Rally Monkeys and all that stuff. Uh, but I will say, moving to Pittsburgh, the Pirates are the only Pittsburgh sports team I'll root for. Steelers can go. Aren't they rocks. terrible? Yeah, well, of course they're terrible. <laughs> of course they're horrible, dude. There, Dan alluded to this earlier, but. Uh, and I don't know the full stat. I have to look it up. But the full salary of the Pittsburgh Pirates is about two-thirds of Garrett Cole's entire contract with the Yankees right now, which is insane. <laughs> like, the entire team salary. So, oh, I don't know. trade for Starling Marte real bad. Oh, oh. Well, he's on the block. And I got to say, I think my, my response to uh, low team salary is just to 
put as much money as I can into buying Iron City lights and pizza logs at that stadium as physically possible to get that team salary a little bit higher. So whatever it takes. Yeah. Um, but, you know, again, switching uh, different sports here, I'd like to end the show with finishing our, like I said, continued recap segment on ESPN's The Last Dance. So you guys want to talk a little basketball? Yeah, for sure. Right. Uh, Bill and Dan, I'm, opening, I'm open to like your thoughts on the first couple episodes because we've done some deep dives into episodes one through six. Dan, go ahead. Um, what is um, – I'm trying to remember the episode six ended with his father passing away, correct? I th- yeah. Uh, I think that was episode seven. seven. All right. Well, I want to remember all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, it is. I would say that some of the stuff I, I love the Dennis Rodman episode. I think it's so funny what a different era they were playing in, where a guy can uh, take a break and go to Vegas and be in bed with Cameron Electra and have the greatest player in the world come and take him out of bed. I think um, it's so funny seeing him leave the arena in front of all these fans and cameras and chugging a Miller Lite can, throw the can, hop on his motorcycle with no helmet and rev away like. There's just it's just a completely different era that we're living in. But as someone that loves sports and didn't really, you know, wasn't into sports when Jordan was in his heyday, obviously because we were too young, um, it's really cool to look back and just watch the type of competitor as a coach. It's awesome to listen to how he treated his teammates and have every one of those teammates not be a little bitch and say what a dick he was, but tell them how he not only helped them become better basketball players but become better men. So. Um, and I'd say my biggest takeaway is how that situation that they dealt with would never, ever happen in today's sports because it's a player-driven league, specifically in the NBA, and Jordan would have been able to do whatever he wants. But thinking about a GM telling the coach coming off back-to-back championships, this is your last year, and the owner being like, yeah, good call. That sounds good. Yeah, um, It's just crazy to think about. Absolutely. <laughs> Go ahead, Bill. Can you hear me? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I uh, agree with Dan 100%. And you guys are probably in the same boat as me. I uh, I re- actually remember watching games of Jordan when he was with the Wizards, but not so much with the Bulls. I just remember like a little bit of the Bulls, not too much. And uh, it's just been like so cool to like know what I'm doing at a certain time. You know, like I've I literally have zero structure in my life right now besides Sundays at nine. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's totally true. I'm a bad man without structure. (laughs) (laughs) I literally look forward all week to 9 p.m. on a Sunday, which is not when you think about it because you got work the next day, but it's the only thing to look forward to. Yeah, and I think personally, episodes seven and eight were the the two strongest of the seasons. Uh, We'll call it a a season. Oh, yeah. Kind of is one, but they were the two strongest episodes in my opinion. And, And just to do a quick, Recap, episode seven focused a lot on the loss of Michael Jordan's father, which I got to say, I had no idea that even happened. Um, It focused on the controversial retirement of Michael Jordan and his transition into baseball. Um, Episode eight focused a lot on, obviously, you know, Dan, you were talking about this earlier, the MLB strike and how that sort of contributed a little bit to uh, Michael's comeback into the league and on the Chicago Bulls. The Space Jam part was pretty great. It was fascinating yet horrifying. We'll get into that a little bit further here uh, to see the behind the scenes on Space Jam. 
but also kicked off the storytelling and narrative of their second three-peat, which is when Michael Jordan came back. And not that exact year that he came back, it was the following year, uh, but talked about how uh, the, essentially his comeback disappointment of that season led to the beginning of the, the second three-peat. So going back to episode seven, I mean, they were talking a lot about how the, how a shock their retirement was and how Michael Jordan received unfair criticism um, and unfair, I think, accusations to why he was retiring and all the, like, the media making a shitstorm of, oh, well, you know, his dad was killed because of his, his gambling problem and that led to him leaving the league. I mean, geez, if you're getting treated by the media that way, no wonder you want to you want to get out of the spotlight for a bit. You know, I don't know. What would you guys think? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm with you. I, I think um, the media really pushed Michael Jordan out of into his first retirement. I think you could tell after that, that last season, um, he was just physically, mentally exhausted. Um, when the death of his father happened, I think that just kind of put him over the edge. Then those rumors started coming out. Um, and I, I just think he had lost the will to play the game. And I mean, you, you talked to, you heard it in the documentary, leaving the game for, for the 18 months that he did was the best thing that ever happened to him. He got his head on straight. He got to hang out with a group of guys um, uh, in baseball with the, in, with the White Sox double A team that, I mean, just kind of got take him away from the spotlight a little bit. Obviously the media was still crazy at those double A games, but he wasn't like, he was in double A baseball. He wasn't in the spotlight under pressure in NBA games. Um, the the coolest thing was realizing Terry Francona was his coach. That's wild. I thought that was awesome. Um, and just knowing Terry Francona as a coach and, and I mean, I don't think there's a better person to kind of take Michael and, and like be just like the manager for a guy like that. I mean, it was awesome. Um, just a quick, uh, quick little plug here. If uh, you want to tune in to Buckets and Dan Sportsland on Monday, we actually today spoke with one of Michael Jordan's teammates, Rusty LaRue, who was a rookie on that last dance team. And he kind of outlines the type of teammate that Jordan is. Um, and he really had nothing but really positive things to say about Jordan and Pippen and Rodman. He said Rodman wasn't really the type of person that he's portrayed as. He was really serious about basketball. Um, and say, kind of same thing about Jordan is like he, he gets not villainized, but just portrayed as an asshole. And the, uh, he was really a good guy off the court. And the same thing with Kraus. I mean, what do you guys think about Kraus? Kraus was, is they a hundred percent are villainizing and Dan made that, that term today, villainizing Kraus. And I don't, I mean, dude, he made some fantastic moves. I think that's an underrated storyline is, and this was said in the interview today too, is firing Doug Collins. I know it's bringing it back a little bit, but to go to Phil Jackson after a playoff run is, is crazy, but yeah. a great move. We, yeah, it was a great move. We talked about this a little bit, I think, episode one or two, how Jerry Krause was a phenomenal general manager. Yeah. Phenomenal general manager. But he had a power struggle with Phil Jackson towards the latter end of, of these runs. And he, he burned too many bridges. 
at the end of, of his career, uh, not his career, at the end of this run, really. So I thought he was a phenomenal general manager. I thought he just didn't – he didn't play the personalities right, and, and he was in a, a constant struggle for power with Phil Jackson. So not to take away from – because I want you guys to listen to our interview with Rusty Leroux. I thought he was great. Two things. One, I thought it was interesting how he said, um, well, it's funny, Sean, that you said that the MLB strike was one of the main, and I didn't know that, was one of the main reasons that he came back. And it's funny that the NBA, according to that Rusty Leroux guy, he says that, you know, it was always in your back of your mind, can they bring certain players back, blah, blah, blah. But that basketball strike to begin the year, that following year, made it so you couldn't negotiate with anybody. So that kind of sealed the deal in terms of if they even thought about bringing anybody back. You couldn't negotiate. So by that time, it was like it's a done deal anyway. And he made some good points. And he, I'm glad he did this because they certainly it's, – it's very one-sided, the way they portray this in the documentary, how Kraus uh, went about doing things. But according to that Rusty LaRue guy – he was saying that all it would take is Michael Jordan just during that time being like, yeah, he's put together this great team, blah, blah. But it just seemed like there was a constant bickering of Kraus always having like undermining comments like, yeah, we're an organization. This is the best team. It's a team win. And Michael Jordan being like, fuck you. I am the team. And whether that's true or not. And he gives, because the thing is Jordan gives a bunch of credit to players. He talks about uh, Pippen like he was that second guy. He talks about how important Rodman was. Um, once they lost Horace Grant. Um, but he he just seems to refuse to give Kraus credit. So why, why – and that Rusty Rue guy was like, it's impossible to take emotion out of it. So whether you want to just be the GM in the back, like that puts together all these championships, you are going to want some credit. It's just human nature. So the fact that they just seem to refuse to give it to him, and it was kind of like a game they played, obviously that led to – but he also said that at the end of that year – they were burnt out. It, you could tell by the end of that year that it was like, well, even if this wasn't like signaling the last, the last dance, it kind of was going to be the last dance because all those players were old anyway. Yeah. I mean, Jordan then comes back three years later and averages 20, 20 a game with the Wizards for back-to-back season when he's 40. So that's also <laughs> insane to think about. But yeah, I, some interesting perspective on the Jerry Krause thing. Because the poor guy's dead. He, first of all, he looks like Paul Bearer, the old manager from Denver. He does. He does. And he, he can't defend himself, which sucks. So I'm glad yeah. to get a little insight there. No, I, I think I – yeah, was, go ahead. He went from playing – not playing baseball for, like, so long. He played baseball when he was 17 years old and then didn't play since. Went to the NBA and just jumped into double A. And he didn't play great, but he held his own. He batted 200, hit 50 RBIs, like – Terry Francona said with more time, he could have probably made it to the major leagues, which I think is insane. I never knew that. 1,500 at-bats, he said. I never knew that. You can do that. Like, nobody else in the world could do that. And I played baseball for 15 years. Pick up a bat and say, I'm going to play in the major leagues. And I honestly, knowing Jordan's determination, he would have motivated himself and he would have did it because he was the best athlete of all time, in my opinion. Mets fans know Tebow's been trying to do it for five years. Oh, get him the <laughs> fuck out. Yeah. Dude, is he still playing for Syracuse? Well, I, I guess. Yes. Right? Yeah, he's still in Syracuse. Have you so, seen him play a lot there, Scott? What's that? Have you seen him play a lot? I saw him a couple times last year. I didn't go for him, though. He was brutal when he came to Buffalo. I think he went like oh for, 1 for 11 in his. Yeah, he was not good. I went for the two beers that were free with my ticket on Friday nights. 
Sweet. Hell yeah. Dude, you got to go dollar, dollar uh, dog night, dollar beer night. I got to tell you, one of the highlights of my, my stint, my career in Syracuse was going to those dollar dog, dollar beer nights. People would get loaded at those things. <laughs> yeah, I remember dude. it was one of the very first, it maybe the first dollar beer night. or it, And it wasn't exactly a dollar. Maybe it was like dollar dog, two dollar beers. But if you get a Syracuse pale ale, I mean, you get five of those in you and you're feeling pretty yeah. good. I, I just I remember a guy wearing a Flyers jersey for no reason, just taking it off oh. in the seventh inning and just spinning it around his head. <laughs> I thought the guy was going to take off in the air. It was wild. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how many uh, minor league baseball games you all have been to, but they are so thirsty for fans. <laughs> so much free shit. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Like $15 and I got two free like IPA beers. It was awesome. <laughs> At most ball games are $15 a piece. Oh, it's the yeah. worst. And I remember we went to a Syracuse game that one time. Um, yeah, I do actually. Why did we do that? <laughs> I don't remember. Somebody <laughs> was. I think. I think somebody was down on a minor league stint. Yeah, it was Strasburg. And yeah, it might have been actually. It might have been. <laughs> Wild. I remember that. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you guys because. One of the things that they talked about in episode seven was everyone remembered where they were when Michael Jordan announced his retirement. And I, I personally don't, because like you guys, I mean, we were kind of too young to remember this, this exact season. And for me personally, I only knew Michael Jordan really because of Space Jam. Um, but I, it made me think, like, what are some sports moments that you guys remember, like where you were when you found out? Like, when, I mean, the, the one that sticks out is LeBron's decision. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where, where were you, Scott? Uh, I was up at uh, my parents' lake house just for, for the weekend. We were, all, we were all watching his decision at my buddy's house. That's right, because ESPN aired like a three-hour special. Yeah, it was ridiculous. ridiculous. That's why everyone hates him. Yeah. Like my two... My two biggest, like, as a kid moments were, I like, you know, getting, well, you know, just being a kid. So I'd have to go to bed before the game ended. And I remember I've gotten woken up twice by my dad to watch the end of a game. And the first one was the Stars game six when the Sabres lost the Stanley Cup. I got woken up for the overtime or whenever they lost. And I also got woken up for when the Red Sox won in 2004. And I was like, oh, yeah. I, I didn't know why my dad was literally hopping like a grasshopper around the family room. <laughs> and then I realized he was just hammered. <laughs> Bill, Bill, were you, were, you, were you woken up for the Yankee series or the World Series win? Um, the World, Keith Folk, the World Series win. Because the, the, that was the 3-0 comeback year, right? They were down 3-0 in the ALCS? Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I don't have moments. Uh, Scott, I do remember where I was. My buddy Zach's a huge LeBron guy, so we all we all went to his house for LeBron. Season. But I know, like, I can think back to certain points, and it, it's, I could literally. It feels like I'm in the room in the same spot watching games. You know what game sticks out? Which is weird. I remember being for some reason. I don't know why my brother wasn't, it, but I slept in my brother's room the night that um, Boise State beat Oklahoma when they ran that statue, of, the hook and ladder to force overtime, and then the statue of Liberty. <laughs> I could, yeah, I, that, I, that's a vivid memory for me. Um, and another vivid memory I have is 
Tyler Ennis' overtime goal against Philadelphia in like 2011. I remember it was Easter weekend because the, the Sabres ended up losing on Easter in game six when they could have won. But um, there's certain – I don't have a lot of memories of like moments like – Michael Jordan sending a fax back saying I'm back, which is the biggest baller. So legendary. Yeah, that's pretty but, fucking uh, sweet. I, and there's games that I remember where I was, like specifically where I was. Not too far after this whole Jordan stuff, he's probably playing with the Wizards still. Uh, I actually remember Mike Piazza's home run after 9-11. Yep. Yep, I remember that one. My dad, my, my dad woke me up for that one. My dad woke yeah. me up. Yeah, I remember <laughs> that. Oh, you know what? What I'm thinking of, remember that game? Um, this is when my dad woke up because it was my mom's birthday, June 30th. Um, when the, Brave, the Braves were up like 11-1 on the Mets, and they came back and Piazza hit a walk-off, and that's when he woke me up. But I, I don't think I was around for um, – not around. I don't think I was – I don't think I remember where I was for that. I've seen the clips of it, the Piazza game, but – Yeah, I, was, I think we were 10 years old maybe. Um, but yeah. Mike Piazza is my favorite athlete of all time. Yeah, dude, same. Vividly remember that home run. Um, and just kind of – it was late, so I don't even know what I was doing up, but I was sitting with my dad watching that game, and it was unreal. I mean, you I don't understand it given how old I was, but looking back on it, unreal. You know, you know it was Pete Piazza when uh, – the Mets kind of sucked, but when he had the flow and then the full man chew, that was Pete Piazza, dude. It was sick. I just remember the frosted tips. No, oh, that is God. not Pete Piazza. That Piazza sucked. <laughs> no, that Piazza sucked. Um, I don't think you can put the word peak and frosted tips in the same sentence. No, no. Yeah, it's you know more what? just the last memory I have of him playing because that was the end of his career with the frosted tips. But You know what's, right. you know what's funny? People talk about, like, Dominic Hasek, like, single-handedly carrying a team to a Stanley Cup final. How about Piazza carrying a team to a World Series with his other players, like Todd Zeal, Benny Agbayani. Their starting pitcher was Al Leiter, who was like 40 at the time. Ray Ordonez, <laughs> a shortstop. Bobby J. Jones, Bobby M. Jones was a black one and a white one. Which Robin I, Ventura, Edgar Ventura. Yeah, I'm trying to avoid the actual good players. But I know, yeah. You know who else is on that team was um, Pat Mahomes, who is yep. Mahomes' dad, which is cool. Was Armando Benitez the closer that don't, year? Don't you dare say his name. <laughs> In front of me, or my father. You know, if, if you say the name Timo Perez to my father, he'll slap you across the face till this day. The guy that just <laughs> decided to jog in from third in game one of the World Series and they threw him out by like 40 feet and he just looked shocked that there was a relay coming home. Ugh, that piece of shit. My dad, yeah, no. yeah we've gone off track, but now got track. he got me going a little bit. And because <laughs> Fuck my like Mets closers. If Benitez seals Game One, it could be a different series. And fuck Familia for not sealing Game Oh God, Royals too. But I don't was, talk 2015 with me. Yeah, I'm done. We can go back to the Bulls. Yeah, we'll get back to the Bulls. Sorry, Sean. No, this game it's called the rant, right? That's what we're supposed to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah let's is. get to your on. Uh, let's finish up the, the sports memory thing. Like, what what are some uh, things you remember where you were? I remember in 2002 actually. Sean Bates got a penalty shot in the playoffs against the Toronto Maple Leafs, and <laughs> never happened. Never happened back then. That was before the shootout and everything, so that was like a big deal. And I remember he he beat a uh, Curtis Joseph five hole on a penalty shot to win the playoff game. And I just remember my dad screaming, 
fuck Darcy Tucker. Right after it happened. <laughs> Fucking awesome. And then the next game, like, Darcy Tucker, like, killed Mike Pekka, and then we lost the series. But I remember oh, RAP. with my dad watching the game. That's, I don't know why that, that memory popped up for some reason. Where were you for the Super Bowls? Do you remember where you were for those? I was with like, you for one of them. Yeah, we were in Cortland for one of them. I remember that. We were all watching the game together. And uh, I think we were, where were we watching it? Eddie's? Eddie's Suite, yeah. So, uh, in Higgins. That was, that was in my building. And you guys, I don't know if you remember my roommate, John Baccio, but they won. And Eddie comes sprinting down and, like, jumps into the arms of, of John. And <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. Gorman- I hated that Super Bowl. Gorman was there, right? We, I was, I was in that suite with you guys for that. He, he was, he was there physically, uh, but I don't, I don't remember. I don't know if Gorman remembers actually being there, because I've seen a video. I've seen a video of you guys because I was out of town that weekend. I was in Rochester, but I remember there's a video on my phone of your guys celebrating that that game, and I remember, I'll never forget that. Hysterical. I'm pretty sure both Ant and Gorman stripped down to their underwear and start running around. Sure, the park. I, got, I got borderline naked. I was crying <laughs> in the hallway. It was Gorman. It was ugly. Gorman was like this. I just remember Brian being like, "Fuck, fuck, fuck." Sounds like that. Sounds like Gorman. I need yeah, one yeah, of those man. moments in my life. I just need yeah. one of those moments in my life. Same. Uh, just sports say, moments. One real quick, Sean. Uh, yeah. I remember. Adam Henrique overtime against the Rangers in the Eastern Conference Finals. <laughs> and obviously, Henrique, Henrique, dude, I was going nuts. I was watching it with my cousin, who's a huge Rangers fan. I just like, fuck you. Love that. Love that. <laughs> sorry, Sean. Go ahead. No, it's all right. I've got some piss poor ones. Well, I my first one's pretty good. Come I on, think dude, the, don't bring it down. The 2002 Angels World Series win is for me like this is just when I started kind of like grasping what the angels were and i remember waking up in the middle of the well to me it was the middle of the night it was probably like 9 30 uh <laughs> but walking downstairs and watch like my my parents were both watching it and that was a crazy game because if you guys remember the angels and the giants were both wild card teams um and the rally monkey year yes that was like the birth of the rally monkey you know it was a troy gloss and tim salmon team really just a Bunch of no, it, it kind of reminded me of the Nash, the Washington Nationals. Uh, Darren Erstad. Yeah, Darren Erstad. Angie uh, Molina. Oh, great. Um, I remember walking downstairs and, and seeing that as a 10 year old, um, that game seven win to see to win. And the other one is r- weird. I don't know why I'll always remember. Well, I think I'll always remember this. I remember it now. But I remember when it was announced Terrell Owens was going to the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> I was I was I was at golf practice or whatever with my buddies in high school. Uh, we were coming back and it was it was at night. Of, yeah, yeah, it was like yeah, toward the end of the night. We were coming back from this indoor golf golf range in Rochester, and I remember my buddy going, "Terrell Owens is now a Buffalo Bill." I'm like, get the fuck out of town. So I don't know why I'll always remember that. I think I will. It's just bizarre. Johan's um, no hitter is one I remember too. I was, at a bar. I was at a Toronto Blue Jays game when that Santana hat no hit happened. So I, got- I was in the car listening to it on the fucking radio. I was so pissed. <laughs> I was in a bar. Sucked. Were you at the du- Dan, were you at the Dukes? No, no. Oh. I don't know Gosh. why. I was at Santoris and I never go there. I don't know why I was there. When uh, when all this blows over, I want to travel to Buffalo and just spend 
the entire weekend at the Deuce. I haven't been at the Deuce in a long time. That's that's a young man scene. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, maybe not. Too young for your oh. taste. Young man and every degenerate 48 to 63-year-old in the Kenton area. So you'll be there in 15 years. I'm counting down the days, yes. <laughs> Dan, Dan, I'll never forget, the not the last time I was there, because the last time I was there was with Bill, but the last time I was there with you, <laughs> I was going at the jukebox trying to put Bob Seeger on, probably. Smart. And, uh, boy, I think uh, Wild World came on the, the jukebox while I was at um, – while I was picking a song, and this guy came up to me, he goes, hey, did you put this this song on? I go, even though I had not put the song on, I go, yes, I did. He goes, he puts both of his hands on my shoulder, he goes, God bless you. <laughs> he just <laughs> yeah. sauntered off to go, it would probably take, you know, three shots of fireball, but anyway, we got a little off track there, but it was, it was, it made for good podcasting. Um, Buckner, did you get to a, did you get to Buffalo for a game last year? Yeah, uh, yeah, I went. We talked to, Star Wars. We did. I went to the Bengals game, which was what week three, and then I was there at the the last game of the season, which was miserable against the. Giants. Yeah, it was. We left after the quarter. Oh yeah, I my brother and I stayed till like the halfway through the fourth quarter. We should have left oh. way. We should have left way earlier. It was. <laughs> it was wet and cold, and we were soaked to the bone. Hey, we the Bills. Lost to the Jets. Well, I would say the Bills' second stringers lost to the Jets. <laughs> we didn't say this when we were doing our football segment, but if there are fans at football games, Falker and I are going to that week one game. So, yeah, we'll oh, see what's there. Hopefully. You could stay in this room and then right now. It's the guest room. I would consider going, too. Would... Yeah, do it. Oh, yeah. man. That would be excellent. excellent. It would actually work out. I told I Falker the only way I'm going is if he jumps through a table. I'll put him through a table. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, actually, I'd rather see that. <laughs> I would. I, I want to see you going, rock bottom him through a table. <laughs> I'll be. If I'm going through a table. It's going to be because of Anilaco. I would love that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so I, I don't know how long we want to focus on episode eight because it was a good one. But um, the one thing I want to talk about is the the Le, Le, Bradford Smith story. If you guys remember. Dude. Incredible. So, quick context, and I guess we should probably should have put a little spoiler alert warning uh, to listeners out there who maybe haven't seen this show yet. Even though it is history that happened twenty plus years ago, um, essentially, LeBradford Smith, what he was, uh, he was a rookie right that year, and he was playing. Um, boy, it, what, uh, I'm blanking now. What team was he playing for? Washington. No, Washington, no. right? I thought it was Charlotte. It was the Bullets, right? I thought oh, it was, it was the, bullets. the Bullets, yeah. Yeah, they did yeah, the Washington Bullets. bullets. So they they had back-to-back games, the Bulls and the Bullets. Um, one was in Chicago, one was in Washington. And the one in Chicago, the first one, uh, Bradford Smith just had, like, some sort of coming-to-Christ moment and went off and ended up beating the Bulls. And rumor has it is he put his hand on uh, Michael's shoulder and said, nice game, Mike. And <laughs> a, no- a normal thing to do. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he didn't even say it. He probably had and no ill intention behind it at all. Zero. Correct. Correct. And then Michael Jordan just took that, that motivation, that competition, transitioned it into an insane amount of athleticism, and then the next day went to Washington and just mopped the floor with them. 
Yeah, uh, because the, and they even said, insane. right, yeah, it was insane because the bullets sucked that year. Um, but in, they even get into this in the show because there was a lot of rumors swirling that the LeBradford Smith comment, nice game, Mike, never even happened. And then they asked Mike about it, and he said, smiling to the camera, I made it up. I mean, this <laughs> is a guy. He's fucked up in the head. Yeah. This is a guy who will, will fabricate a reason mm -hmm. to win for himself just to get out there and get motivated. It's that poor guy. Like all he did yeah. was a good game. Like all he did was have a good game and just gets annihilated the next day. The, they, um, Big Cat, pardon my take, made such a good point. He said, it's so funny to think about you can never do anything right. Because even let's say that story did happen. So you could say nice game genuinely, and that would motivate him. You could scream in his face like B.J. Armstrong did. Armstrong, yeah. And then you could say nothing to him, like George Carl did, where he walked by him at a restaurant, didn't say anything to him, and that'll motivate him. So there's, yeah. Yeah. there's nothing you can do to not motivate him. He's so sick in the head that he can just fabricate these moments to find motivation in them and just take his game to another level. Like, it's unbelievable. It's unreal. That was my biggest takeaway. From never you. anyone like him. There never will be anyone like him. He is – unique to the sport to to athletes everywhere and emotional plea at the end of uh whether i think it was episode eight um i, I just remember before this came out he was so concerned that people weren't gonna like him after this and you can see the emotion he put into his whole career and how much he wanted to win and how much it meant to him but also like he said he wanted his teammates to win too and i, I got chills when he was giving that speech because you could just see the passion in his eyes and he just starts crying when he's talking about how people like villainize him. Like we were talking about before, but all he wanted to do is win. It's crazy. Yeah. It's a level of competition. I have not seen ever in my no. life. So no. I, I guess the, the the closest oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What'd you say? Not since Cortland in a murals. Good point. Did you, uh, I guess Kobe would be the closest thing, right? I mean, he was pretty cutthroat and, yeah, certainly went after to win, but yeah, he learned that from Michael Jordan. Right, right. Yeah, I thought that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know that. And this is so. I think this documentary seals like the reason LeBron will never be Michael Jordan is because he does not have this killer instinct and the motivation and the determination to win, like MJ does. He he doesn't have it. He never will have it. And it's just like they're on different levels, in my opinion. And that's it's it's to me as much as I hate LeBron. That's unfair to LeBron because how many people do have what Jordan has? Like I, I mean, nobody. You could say all yeah. you if you if you have Jordan's mentality with LeBron's body, he's the greatest athlete to ever walk the face of the earth. It and the fact that it says a lot to LeBron that he's so good that he doesn't have that, and it right. still can be argued that he's the greatest player of all time. Absolutely, right. and, and yes, absolutely. And I listen. I respect LeBron's game. I, I'm not a LeBron fan. I respect his. I think he will go down the as the second moment. best player in NBA history. Um, but when people like LeBron stands try and argue that that he is the best player in the game, like now every everyone on Jordan's side, all they have to say is watch the last dance. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Have this. So, he doesn't have this. Michael Jordan's the biggest outlier, I would say, in, in sports ever. Like I don't think, in terms of, I don't think an athlete could ever be like Michael Jordan was today. I don't think any like if he beat the shit out of his play, of his teammates in practice, like that wouldn't fly anymore. Like he literally no. beat the shit out of Steve Kerr, and then like, and nothing <laughs> happened. He got kicked out of practice. That was it. Like if that and they became Jordan, better friends because of it. Yep. If that happened today, he would like any athlete oh. today. They wouldn't let him play. Like he wouldn't Can be in the next. 
he'd be kicked out of the kicked off the team. Can you imagine the shitstorm ESPN would 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 publish if that ever happened? If like LeBron James did that right now, holy shit! Yeah, they would have a heat sixty about it the next the next weekend. Didn't that happen recently? It, the Bulls, uh, Bobby Portis, didn't he punch someone at practice like a couple yep. years ago? And and uh, it was on the Bulls too. Yeah, was. one of them got cut, I think, or traded. He's a Nick. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's a Nick now. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Awesome. Do you guys, uh, you guys have any last remaining thoughts on the last dance? No, but I don't. Bill, do you? Not on the last dance. No, I just wanted to. <laughs> say, th- thanks for thanks for having us on. We uh, this was fun. Yeah, and this was nice, fun. It was nice to reminisce. We'll make sure that we're loyal listeners moving forward. And go Bills, go Giants. Yeah. I was yeah. Just <laughs> we'll throw in a Mets segment here in the next couple of weeks, Dan, and we'll just we'll just rant about the Mets for an hour. That sounds I, uh, good. I'll come on anytime. I had a lot of fun. I really, actually, I had a blast. This was awesome. And yeah, you're not you're not invited back. All right. Oh. <laughs> I'm just kidding, buddy. Yeah. So thank you very much. Thank yeah. Thanks for ha- thanks for joining us. Uh, and again, one last plug: uh, Buckets of Dan Sportsland. Listen to it. So follow them on Spotify for all things Buffalo sports related. They, they're doing some great segments. And obviously, wait to hear the great interview with former Bull Rusty Larue. Is it? It's right. That's right. All right. That's a hell of a name. Awesome. Yeah. Guy, listen to this. Hey, here's my closing thought. Listen to this, boys. This guy. Played Wake Forest. He played basketball. Teammates with Tim Duncan, okay? He also was the starting quarterback for the football team. And in one of those four years, he actually played baseball, too. Guy played three sports. Second guy in ACC history to do that. One of four players to win in Cameron Indoor four straight years. Him, Tyler Hansborough, and Danny Green, I think. It's pretty wow. crazy. Wow. If that's not a good tease for listening to that episode, I don't know what is. But, uh, again, thanks, guys, for joining us. We had a blast. I will echo that to the grave. Um, but, yeah, thank you for listening to uh, The Rant with Sean, Scott, and Ant, and Bill and Dan. Uh, and we'll see you next week. Take care. Have a good night. Have a good night.